Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Eve Rodsky, and wow, are you in for a treat. Eve is a keynote speaker and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live. Eve is working to change society one marriage at a time by coming up with a 21st century solution to an age-old problem. Women shouldering the brunt of child-rearing and domestic life responsibilities regardless of whether they work outside the home. And here's the good news. Rituals can help. Eve received her bachelor's in economics and anthropology from the University of Michigan and her JD from Harvard Law School. She was born and raised by a single mom in New York City and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and three children. This episode is a perfect finale to season two, The Ritual Season. I hope you enjoy it. Eve, how are you? Greetings in LA. Erica, how are you? How's Florida? Uh. It's good. Although someone thought I was actually going on vacation, I said, no, this is a relocation. Yeah. I am still here with the same five people juggling the same stuff and homeschooling and the rest. Yeah, it's nice to get out of the cold weather of New York. but And um, a virtual book tour. Well, yes. And Congratulations, a, yes, and by the way. It's so, <laughs> exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about it and excited to talk to you about rituals and relationships and, and everything that you have going on. And so as you know, that this podcast is all about relationships and how people honor all of the relationships in their lives, from their colleagues to their friends to their family, and I would say almost most importantly, their relationship with themselves. So I'd love to have the audience learn a little bit you know, more about you than they might know already. And, and tell us about the impact that your relationships have had on your oh, success. That's a great question. Um, I think for me, um, I agree with you. Everything is about uh, relationships. And um, I think my most important one is probably with my mother. It's that um, a tone for my life that ended up where I am now, which is my obsession with the gender division of labor in the home and having it all, meaning doing it all or not, or how do we navigate our relationships with our significant others and our corporations and our government. But it all started with my mother and um, psychologists, I guess Erica would call me a parental child. So my mother's a single mother. I grew up on Avenue C and 14th Street um, in a time where there were, you know, heroin addicts, um, you know, sort of living um, on my, you know, we had this sort of one of those like, push in air conditioners. I remember, and there would be these heroin acts that sort of sleep on our air conditioning and it would fall out of our window. We were on the first floor. Um, but more importantly, my mother, um, my father left when my, she was pregnant with my brother. So I was three and my brother was zero. She was pregnant. And so from an early age, around seven or eight, um, when eviction notices would come under our door or uh, late utility bills would start piling up, and I would see like the big um, sort of the red of the bill. I would start getting my heart palpitations that we'd have to leave or we wouldn't have um, water or electricity. Um, I helped her. I helped her and put bills together and to remind her to pay our rent. And so I'd say that, you know, this idea of um, watching one person try to do it all, try to uh, make money, 
my mother, as I say, she traded alimony, acrimony for alimony. So we weren't really um, supported by my father, but she did have the freedom and a good relationship with him. So I think, you know, my whole life was really affected by that relationship where my mother would say, you may not have a Barbie doll or you may not be able to get the Cabbage Patch doll, but what you will have is, um, is the agency in your life to make change. Um, I will give you that as a gift. And so the way that would turn out was she would take me every year, my birthday to Washington, DC. And she would say, pick a March. And so that's what we did for my birthday. We would March for civil rights or for the equal rights amendment um, in later years for uh, social work and the importance of social work in our society. And so um, that, that to me is probably the biggest relationship that's shaped me. Wow. That's amazing. Would you say that going to the marches in Washington on your birthday was a ritual? A hundred percent. And that's the first ritual I wanted to talk to you about. And I think it was such an important ritual because, you know, my mother would quote Gandhi, right? Or, or many civil rights leaders that she would teach me about because she wanted me to understand different types of civil rights movements and the different isms, whether it be ageism or racism or sexism. And she would say that be the change you want to see in the world was one of her favorite quotes. It was a Gandhi quote. And I think a lot of people can say, be the change you want to see in the world. But as you know, because you write about this, part of being the change you want to see in the world is about a habit. Right. And whether it's a change of you want to walk 10,000 steps or it's a change that you want to be more civically engaged, you got to practice. And rituals are a great place to do that. And so that ritual of saying, I associate your birthday with giving back was one of the most important rituals of my life. And it was actually gave me some time with my oh, mother. Uh, my mom had very little time for us. You know, she worked late nights. I'd put my brother to bed. I was a latchkey kid. My brother was disabled. Um, no one really knew that in the public school system. They would just pass him along, mm -hmm. but he couldn't read. We didn't learn that till seventh grade. And, but that ritual of her and me um, and a Greyhound bus ticket and me taking care of her because I knew she was going to lose her wallet or she was going to lose our bag or our food, which she did all the time. Um, that, that ritual of taking care of her, but also watching her and her element of being around civic-minded people was a 100% a ritual. Wow. And I, I love that example. And for the audience, people are listening, you know, when, when I define rituals, two things tend to jump out. One is a ritual is something that you can't imagine it not being there, whether it's a day a week or one day a year. And so this would fit that definition that all of a sudden, if it was your right. birthday and you didn't go, you weren't on that Greyhound bus, something would be really off. And, and the second piece is that, that it, it's, it goes beyond, it's a practical purpose. There's almost an elevation in terms of meaning and, and connection. And so I think it's a really great example. And also um, you you might have heard me talk about the three P's of rituals, which is that rituals give us a sense of psychological safety and connection. I mean, this was an amazing time for you and your mom to have to be together and to know that, you know, all in the world was going to be OK because your mom was there. You had that time with her and an opportunity to connect to purpose. So great example that really highlights why rituals are so important in our lives. Absolutely. And I think um, what I love about your work, Erica, is that um, by connecting it to the bigger P's, you know, we're, you're, you're elevating, uh, what a ritual means probably in many people's minds, right. Where they maybe think of a ritual as like brushing their teeth, right. This, these are things where, um, you know, rituals to me, uh, another ritual is communication, 
right? Um, I practice communication every night with my husband for 10 minutes a night, but I, um, and that's our ritual. Um, and there is a broader connection and a bigger purpose. And it would be weird for me to go to bed without doing it. But I, that's what I love about your work because it's gotten me to think about the more purposeful rituals I had in my life. Right. Well, and the, the third P that I had mentioned, so we have psychological safety plus connection to purpose equals the third P, which is performance that this actually leads to better business results, better relationships. We feel better. Our stress goes down. So in in preparation for today, I was just listening to some interviews that you did. And I'm curious if you you see this as a ritual, um, because a lot of the work you do, I know, is with couples and talking about marriage and and balance and gender roles and and fair play, which is the name of your amazing book. Um, And you talked about setting aside 20 minutes a week to have a check-in with your spouse to talk about your relationship and not do it in the moment. So is that something that you see as a ritual or is that something that I could build and I probably should build into my week as a ritual? Yes. Well, it's funny you say that because what I was surprised by um, was when I was asking people to treat their home with some respect and rigor, right? Back to that sort of that performance indicator, that the the the, yeah. uh, the ultimate P, right? What to have a yep. more efficient home, to have it perform better, right? Because people were telling me that they were um, drowning in decision fatigue, Erica, right? They're drowning in decision fatigue, and maybe they held it um, at bay before the pandemic because they had other social supports, right? Like childcare or extended family, right? This idea that not performing well was coming up all all the time, right? That the home was a shit show, that people were setting the table when they were already hangry and cranky, that they were about to decide who's taking the dog out, right? When it's taking a piss on the rug, right? So right. It, it it felt very chaotic. And this is even, you know, before the pandemic. Obviously, now it's gotten way, way worse. And so I was always very fascinated by the fact that there were no rituals in the home. Um, Yes, there's holiday rituals, right? I'm not talking about like lighting the Hanukkah menorah or or having hanging ornaments. I meant constant rituals for performance, sort of the way you look at it. And I talk a lot about that. uh, What does that look like as a practice? And so for me, it was looking at how people communicate because I wanted communication to become a ritual. As we just said, I wanted to become a practice. Mm-hmm. And the first 200 people I interviewed, and they weren't just heterosis gender relationships, but let's just talk about those because it was different for my same-sex couples. They were used to having more difficult conversations. Right. And so we should learn from same-sex couples who say to me, when we have to discuss your genetic material of your children, we are used to communicating. But for heterosis gender relationships, it was so hard to find anybody who told me that they consistently practiced the ritual of checking in. Nobody, zero of those first 200 couples said that, zero, that they had a consistent check-in. Didn't mean that they didn't say we need to talk sometimes, but I mean the actual practice of sitting down with what may be some short-term reward substitution, as my friend Dan Ariely, the professor of economics would say, uh, maybe you bring, you know, tequila or cookie dough with you to your communication check-in. But that practice of treating communication as a practice as opposed to a means to an end, most people said to me that they communicate because they have to tell their partner something. Right. Well, we communicate because my kid has to get on Zoom because we have to tell him or her what or they what groceries right. they it's need. It's just logistics. Um, of course, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's logistics oh. as opposed to elevation of communication as a practice just to do it for itself. Right. And 
I know. You know what? You're motivating me. I'm going to link back with you and, and really try to make this one of my 2021 goals and rituals because I'm already envisioning if that was something that I did, there would be a connection to that sense of, of psychological safety and belonging and that, you know, relationships are hard and I have three teenagers and it's not always easy. And, you know, as I said, when we started, I'm having this relocation. I may be in a place that's warm right now, but, you know, it's hard. And that if, if you can set time aside every week to feel connected, um, yeah, I, I think that would go a long way for, for many couples. And by the way, Erica, we changed our ritual. It still has all of your peas, but we changed it to 10 minutes a night versus we used to do 20 minutes a week on Fridays. And we had to change it to 10 minutes a night at the beginning of the pandemic because every day was so dynamic. Right. Our careers are so dynamic. By dynamic, I don't mean amazing. I mean dynamic in that everything was changing every single day. And so well, the beauty of the psychological safety of that P is because I, because we have such complementary work. I talk, I work with organizations and how to get to the place of psychological safety for family businesses and family foundations. My client base, I like to say, is like the HBO show Succession. Yeah. <laughs> and your listeners should feel bad for me because, you know, it's hard to work with those families. Yes. But I do bring some grace and humor and generosity around the table for how to communicate. The studies show, this is not just me talking out of my ass, right? I have positive organizational psychology, law. I have a lot of rigor to what I, to what I do. What it shows is that when you communicate more consistently, um, there is psychological safety and connection there. It is a ritual. And rituals allow you um, to do things that maybe if it's a one-off, wouldn't, right? right? And, and what it allows you to do is it allows you to bring up hard conversations and to say, you know what, this isn't working, but I know I can come back to this tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the opposite of what we heard in those stupid marriage books where they said, like, never go to bed angry. It's the opposite. It's like, of course, you want to go to bed angry and you want to wake up and have another time when you know you can come back to the table. And that's what that communication ritual does for Seth and me. We say, you know what, we're going to table this because you and I are cursing. We're not having the right type of conversation. We are at a standstill. Let's come back when emotion is low and cognition is high. Right. right. And that's what it's done for us. So this ritual, the, the check-in ritual makes me think of is during during the pandemic, I know Cigna was one company that's been doing a lot of this. Um, they, they set a goal for all their employees and said, we want you to check in with two people in their life. It didn't need, even need to be colleagues and report back on and, and share stories on how that went. And, you know, again, trying to make to make that a ritual. Another one that I think you'd find really interesting, and, and maybe you have some from, from some of your companies, um, organizations that you can share, but I recently heard a podcast with the head of human resources from Eventbrite, who was doing a leadership development program um, for their senior leaders. And we've all been in meetings where people say, hey, Eve, you know, so how are you doing? And then we get right into <laughs> business at hand. And, and you, you heard me say, how are you doing? But you don't really believe that I care. And, <laughs> you know, and if I say it like that, I actually may not. It's sort of this road. Okay, how are you doing? Great, let's move on. And they started a, a ritual where they, and there's a whole chapter in the book, um, the new book on rituals and meetings. And they have their leaders start off their one-on-one -on -one meetings with, so Eve, how are you really, really doing? And that's what they call it. And they pause and the impact that something so subtle like that has on, on and changing the, the narrative on the communication ritual. So I thought you'd love that one. Oh my God. I love that one so much. And I think um, 
the more what a Cigna did was so cool because I think uh, when you encourage that practice, eventually it will come back to you. You know, it'll come back to you when you think about how do you manage people within Cigna, right? That checking in with your employees becomes a priority. So I think that's that's pretty amazing. And um, you know, what I love about your work so much, Erica, is that uh, you know we both we both are obsessed with the question. You know, what makes you uniquely you? Right. We're both obsessed with the question of getting to purpose, and um, and so I think a lot now. Um, and in preparation for this podcast, I was thinking a lot about, and actually going back in a lot of my moleskins, because I'm a very analog person. So one of my rituals is every chapter, um, I pull out a, a new moleskin um, and I start fresh with that. And that that ritual of completion for me is really, really interesting. And so I was looking back at some of those moleskins and it was been, it was fun to start identifying couples rituals and how they were right. um, inc- incorporating fair play into their life. It was so, so you start a new moleskin for every chapter in your life or a chapter in your book? A chapter in my book, okay. in my book. I, so I, I, I pick a different color, actually going to a Barnes and Nobles or to a stationery store to look, or sometimes the moleskin store, they actually opened one here, which is really exciting in LA and actually going and deciding what color I want to pick out, how I'm feeling at that moment, whether it's a Wonder Woman moleskin or just a plain black one. Um, the most recent one I'm using for this next chapter is neon green. That was sort of the color I felt like for 2021. But every single chapter I finish, um, even if there's still pages left in the moleskin, I close that moleskin and I start a new a new one. Oh, that's completion. So I mean, we really Small were completions. separated at birth, Eve, because <laughs> I too have a moleskin obsession. I've done some Instagram posts on my on my moleskins. I I don't have different colors. Yeah, I, I'm not sponsored by them. I'm I just no me neither. Yeah, exactly. I tend to stick with navy, but I. Uh, I oh love wow, that. yeah. Maybe I'll ask you next time um, for each for each thing you do, whether it's your book tour or your next chapter, pick a different color. I yeah. wonder if that will change your ritual too. Yeah, I'm going to try it. <laughs> All right. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, we both are, you know, working women and moms and think a lot about, you know, gender roles. And as I know you've seen, um, an unprecedented number of women have left the workforce um, during this pandemic to care for their kids. And, you know, if they were lucky enough to be able to do it, um, but it's been a disaster for, for many women who didn't want to leave the workforce, but the kids are at home and, and it's been hard. So, but, and some companies are starting to let their employees come back. Others are saying people can work at home for the foreseeable future. And so my question for you, and, and one of the things that I've been thinking about and almost starting to worry about is that if the women start to take advantage of this new flexible, okay, I'll work from home forever, and the men decide to go back to the office, um, I worry that it's that it's going to backfire, that th- the balance at home is going to tip and the women are going to do everything, and they're going to be out of, sight of mo- out of sight, out of mind at work. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion on fair play as it relates to what's going to happen post-pandemic. Sorry, that was a very yeah. long, it was a long question. No, that's a great question. This is what keeps me up at night, Erica. Um, I think we're at an inflection point right now. We're at an inflection point where we could, um, you know, the road not taken could be that we go back to the 1950s um, into a horrific loss of progress for women um, and gender equity. Or what I'm hoping and my great optimism is that we move forward into a completely different earth 2.0. 
And I, what I'd say about Earth 2.0 for me is that people used to ask all the time before the pandemic, um, what was my wish for society? And one of my wishes, uh, my first wish was to make the invisible visible. I wanted us all to be the BBC dad, right? That were, that were being, you know, ran in on and interrupted. And um, I thought that was so important because the idea of normalizing human beings as not just a work-life balance equation or work-life even integration, but that the fact that life is life, right? Work is a piece of that, but life is life and you want to thrive in all aspects of your life. And so what I'm hoping is that um, this is a crisis of epic proportions that employers and our government can't ignore. And the crisis is that we don't value care. We don't value care. We've never valued care. We've built the backs uh, of our society. We built the, our society in the backs of unpaid labor of women and the underpaid value, you know, labor of women of color. And that's just no, no longer acceptable. And if we care about diversity, equity, inclusion, um, that we should care about um, the 85% of black women that are uh, primary breadwinners or co-breadwinners in their households. And to do that, to really build a new society after this sort of horrific reckoning, um, to me, the silver lining is that an hour holding our child's hand in the pediatrician's office is just as valuable as an hour in the boardroom. And I think we can build that through ritual. I think we can build that through communication. I think we mm -hmm. can build that through psychological safety and empathy. But it's going to take not just women doing it. It's going to take men. It's going to take our workplaces. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. I see a lot of optimism and change, especially at the big companies like Procter & Gamble, um, who's, um, you know, we've worked with um, at, at Fair Play. They, um, they just extended paternity leave, not as a secondary caregiver, but to 70 countries to say that this is important and we care about it. And so, um, and the more and more companies I see coming to the table to say, we wanna do something about the motherhood penalty and not penalizing women. So the first step is consciousness. Yep. And I believe we're there, we're at a consciousness raising place. And um, what we do about that is gonna be uh, up to women and men like you and me, Erica, um, and the leaders we talk to and how, how much we can, um, we can they, they recognize that being a whole human being um, is actually better, better for their company and better for society. Yeah, that's why I bring your, that's exactly why I yep, wrote bring your human to work. Bring your human to work, <laughs> good, exactly. Good so, commercial for bring your human to work with the subtitle that's being. That's it, that's why I love you, right? right? I love it. Your first book, I, I think I practically reached out to you because bring your human to work is, um, is, was, is your calling card. And, and um, really bringing your human to work is your solution. My piece that I add on to that, right, is bringing your um, your work to your human, right? The fact right. that um, that we are human beings, it's not just bringing yourself to work, but it's actually showing that part of your work is how your workplace values your home life, right? So that right. that's the piece of the puzzle that I try to tackle. You say it so well, and I think what's what's interesting and exciting and challenging all at the same time in this moment right now is that this pandemic has accelerated many exasperated, <laughs> exasperated and um, accelerated many, many of these issues. And so if there were people that were not aware 
and conscious of what's going on, they certainly should be by now with um, <laughs> with the care and everything that's gone on literally turned turned on its head. So I'm I'm feeling hopeful. Everybody but law firms. I will say I'm not seeing it in law firms. I call you out because you are my profession. Shame on you, law firms. I do not see you stepping up to the plate the same way that tech and finance is. And you need to be here. You need to be part of this conversation. And where are you? Where are the legal, not, not the nonprofits. I have a lot of amazing women in nonprofits who are working, who are trained in the law. But where are the law firms in these conversations? I do not see law firms bringing your human to work. Right. And that I will say shame, shame on that industry. All right. Well, I'm going to, I actually have a talk at a, <laughs> at a big firm coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to start there right. and hopefully we'll, we'll have a ripple effect. So good. So just to shift back now a little bit to the, to the personal and, and you reference that there's a question that we both love to think about um, in our work. So I asked this question to everyone on the podcast. Of course, I must ask it to you. And the question is, um, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? I love that question. And you know, I'm obsessed with it um, because it led to a whole narrative arc of fair play that I didn't want to to talk about with women, which was um, this idea of whether or not you believe you have permission to be interested in your own life. And so what I will say that makes me uniquely you, um, it always comes back to my values, right? What makes me feel uniquely you is when I'm living the values of being a lifelong learner. What makes me feel uniquely me is when I'm living the values of uh, fairness and justice. And what makes me uniquely me is when I'm living um, the values of community and connection. And so I always look at those values and I say, when I'm happiness, my clue, the happiness clue, um, because I, I have a very strong point of view that we should not be uh, following happiness. I think a lot of these happiness books have sort of store, steered us in the wrong way because we're all gratitude, gratitude journaling ourselves to death. But at the end of the day, it's about um, how do you have an optimal experience, uninterrupted atten attention for something that you love. And the things that I love, I always realized came back to those three values. It was when I was marching, right? Um, whether it's with my mother or with friends um, at the most recent women's march, it's when I'm writing um, and learning and being curious about a new subject. And it's when I'm connecting people. And I just started this beautiful care coalition on Slack of women that are working on what I call fair pay, fair day, um, fair pay, fair day and fair play and um, the value of care and watching those 73 women sort of light up and amplify each other on wow. the Slack channel has sort of changed my life in the pandemic. So those are the things that make me uniquely me, but there's so many of them. And ultimately they all come back to the values that I live. And those are the values I was saying about before. Wow. I love that. It actually made, made me think, you know, the, the line you just said about, you know, when you're spending that optimal amount of time on something that you, that you love and what struck me as you were saying, and I never really thought about it like that is, is for me, many of those things are my rituals. You know, I go away mm. once a year by myself um, and focus on wellness and, um, you know, taking and this, I mean, one of the things I've missed most in this pandemic is my annual trip with my, with my girlfriends um, yeah. that yeah. it's, it's been really hard not to have not to have some of those rituals. So it's interesting to to think about it from 
you know, through that lens. Absolutely. Well, think about it, right? Most of the rituals, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I will, we could talk about the fun rituals that people have done to make hard things easier, like um, uh, the family's chore half an hour, right? Where, um, you know, your ass doesn't go down to my ass goes down, sort of rituals of getting uh, the hard work done. But I think in terms of like the other types of rituals we were talking about earlier, um, around the things that make us us, um, it's, I think what's been really hard for me too, is that part of those rituals for me is that value of connection, which is inherent in a ritual as you define it, but also inherent in my values definition of right. things that I care about, connect, connection and community. And to lose these things to look forward to um, is really, really hard. And I think the more we can write articles about how to recreate them on Zoom, which we can and we should, right. um, nothing is, gonna, is going to replace and I think we should grieve for the lost rituals. We should grieve for the fact that we are right now losing those connection times with friends or we're losing the rituals of, you know, that that daily walk with your grandma or whatever it was right. Um, right. that we can't do now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to end with just a few, some couple of rapid fire questions. Um, and the first one is, when you think about your fair play balance sheet or your cards, you know, in your deck, which I love, what's on your side, what's on your husband's side, what's the least favorite chore that, that is on your side of the balance sheet? Oh, I, <laughs> well, there's two, there's two types. One is called daily grinds, which means that you should never have a, uh, a life sentence for dishes or laundry. Um, and then there's the one, the more, um, onerous ones that are, that are maybe less daily, but really terrible. And the one that was actually on my plate until uh, one of our check-ins recently was school forms. I freaking hate filling out forms. I don't do it right. They get sent back to me. I don't know how to like fax it in or scan it. If it has to be analog, I lose them. Um, My printer never works. Um, I, I always forget my portal password. I hate filling out things. And so actually recently I said to Seth, um, it doesn't seem to bother you that much. And so we actually just re-dealt that card. So now he is now um, for the next year in charge of every school form. And it's the best thing ever just to forward those emails on and have an unencumbered mind and not to think about it. So that's the one I'm thinking about recently oh my because God. We, just, we just had a big check-in about school forms. I'm laughing so hard. And I know Alexa, who works with me, who's <laughs> in the background of this podcast now, really has a big smile on her face trying to picture my husband being in charge of forms. I think he would rather <laughs> do anything else. He'd be scrubbing a toilet with a toothbrush before filling out a form. Um, that's, that was me. That was me. And, I, and, 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 I, and Seth is so much better. He's so much more organized than this. And I was like, I don't understand why this is on my plate. Like, I, I, this makes no sense that this would be on my plate when you you have a much better skill set for deadlines and being able to figure out how to like get onto online portals. Oh my gosh! Well, on another podcast <laughs> on another day, we'll have to get we'll into unpack that. At, yes. at what time? At what point? You know, your own because my kids are teenagers, and I said to them, the you know, you're going to have to start doing doing this yourself. And yesterday, I asked. My daughter asked me to do something. And I said, no, you're going to have to start doing it. And she sent me a text last night and said, <laughs> mom, it's only, it's a month till my birthday. Let me be a kid for another month. Can you just Aww. do it this one more time? <laughs> of course I, so of course I caved. Um, but I do think. I like, I like the way she asked that. And I like that you're prepping them because I will say that uh, Julia Lithcott Hames, she wrote a book, oh, yeah. she, How to Raise an Adult. And, um, and it's very similar to Fair Play in that 
Um, fair play looks at the ownership mindset, right? That it's much, uh, you're going to intrinsically motivate someone so much more if you say you own groceries versus saying, go get me the um, spicy Dijon with, you know, extra wasabi at the store. Right. And, um, and that ownership mindset is also uh, very important for children. And you don't want to have your child get to college where they've never um, made their own doctor's appointment. So I will say that my son is 12 and we said that that's his new responsibility this year to make his own doctor's appointments and to have his own calendar and to figure out when he has to go back for shots or whether he needs anything. And uh, it, it's a lot of steps. It is. A I'm a little late. I'm a little past 12, <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to make up for lost time. Good. Make up for lost times. Never too I, late. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. So have you... What are you doing for fun? You watching anything good on Netflix or Hulu or your network of choice? Oh my God. Yeah. So my fun, um, well, I'd call, I'll call it my self-care because I have different types of fun. I have what I call unicorn space, right? My active pursuits that make me me. But in terms of my self-care, it's murder mysteries. I'm obsessed. I read, and this is sort of embarrassing, probably like seven to 10 murder mysteries a month. And I'm going through like the whole world of murder mysteries. So there's very little left. So I was going to say, you're going to run out. <laughs> I'm running out. If any of your listeners have any good murder mysteries, thrillers, crime novels that they like, um, please DM me at Eve Rodsky because I've gone through the Robert Gabe, Galbraith, all Louise Penny, Tonner French, all the Agatha Christie, um, all the thrillers that come out every year. It's been, you know, like the top thrillers. So I'm looking for always looking for new novels, but that that's my escape. I, that in a bath is my self-care. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and the final question, is there a pandemic silver lining that came to you that you can share? Well, one is that ritual I was telling you about that other fair players were doing that um, we also adopted. We have a 7 to 7.30 chore, chore ritual every single night where everybody handles their fair play cards. So my husband's is tidying up and garbage where the liner goes back in. Um, and he <laughs> takes garbage, not just from our kitchen, but from every garbage can around the house. It's a full ownership mindset. Um, my older son um, is in charge of dishes and my middle son is in charge of laundry. And so obviously laundry is harder to get done in that half an hour, right. but he starts and then he takes it out. Um, the next morning and he knows he has to complete the full ritual. But I will say that that family chore half an hour um, has been really fun and super connected. And it allows us to come back to the, to the idea of fair play that it's not a woman's job, right? To, um, to do all the domestic housework for your family. And so that, that ritual has been really fun. The other ritual, I, the other thing that I think has been a real a silver lining is like I said earlier, that um, the invisible is now literally visible on Zoom. And so that is a huge, 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 huge change for people to start normalizing having kids walk into their, to their box, right? Because what that does is it normalizes us as humans, uh, back to your beautiful first book, um, and to say that um, it's okay. It's okay to start sharing um, th that we have children. We don't have to hide when we have to go take a piss. Right. We don't have to hide when we have to go take our child um, to their soccer tournament, right? That we can celebrate these things yep. and still be a good ideal worker. So that, that to me is a silver lining, the change in what hopefully the ideal worker will mean after the pandemic. Well, I love that. Great point to end on. Thank you so much, Eve. I can't wait to see you in person, New York, yes. LA, or at the Moleskine store um, near- <laughs> I will take you. Nearest <laughs> you. We have one actually in New York. I swear I love it. 
So we'll go there. We'll go there together and then have coffee after. Oh. That's that'll be our ritual. We, we should do that every year. Yes. God willing, after this nightmare, um, once a year, meet at the Moleskin store with a hot chocolate. Oh my gosh. I love it. I'm in and uh, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.